Galatians 1, um, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I'll pray, and then Johnny will come up. Um, yeah. Father, thank you for your mercy to us, and God, thank you that we can gather in your name. Um, Father, I pray through this series that you would reveal to us more of your riches in Christ, God, and how that affects the realities of our lives. And so thank you, Lord, for your steadfastness, your commitment to us, how you have called us out of darkness and into light. Um, pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. So um, over the next couple of months, we're working our, our way through the book of Galatians in the, the Bible together on Sundays and in, in gospel families and, and in cell groups. And we called this series, you can see it up there, Living Free Together. It's going to be an extended exploration of our freedom in Christ as Christians and what it looks like for us to put that into practice. We're going to be asking questions like, where does our freedom come from? What does it mean to be truly free? How does freedom impact our everyday life? How does that shape our shared life together in the church? And Galatians is a defense of the freedom of the Christian when it is under attack, particularly in how we relate to one another in the church. I think we're going to find that this is of, of great relevance to us because freedom is this kind of great value of our day and our age. Everyone is seeking it, but in truth, most people, I think, are struggling to find it. Now, now before we get into the book of Galatians, we just need to stop for a moment and think about where we are and think about what freedom really is because it's different to what I think we typically think of when we hear the word freedom. So we're just going to just step aside and think about that before we before we dive into to Galatians. You see, in our culture, and I think in most of our minds, freedom is something like this. It's the ability to choose and to live out what I want, when I want, how I want. I can do whatever I like. Nobody can restrict me in any way or tell me what I can or can't do, except for this really kind of loose idea that I ought not restrict the freedom of others. So it's freedom from everything. There's no constraints to, to my self-expression uh, as an individual. And it impacts so much uh, of life for people, including the priorities uh, that we, we have in the major life decisions we make, including how we think about and express our identity, including our gender or, or, or the, our approach to our sex lives or how we raise our kids. Tell them, you can be who you want to be. You can be who you want to be. Don't let anyone restrict your freedom in these things. And so, so we think freedom is the freedom to fulfill our desires and it should be totally unfettered. Actually what happens is often people find themselves imprisoned by their desires that rule over us. Uh, and certainly it leads to all kinds of tensions and conflicts in relationships. As, as one person pursues their idea of freedom and another person uh, pursues their different idea of freedom and, and inevitably that creates all kinds of problems and we end up in confusion and bewilderment. We don't know who we are, what our purpose in life is, or where meaning is found. Now, when I say freedom, when, when the Bible says freedom, that is not what we're talking about. 
That's what the world around us is saying. Galatians offers a radically different and I think a better version of freedom. It's the Christian story of life. Freedom is more like this. It's not the ability to choose and live out what I want at any time, but it's the ability to choose and live out what is right and what is good and what is beautiful. So so true freedom is not being whoever we want, but actually who we were made to be. It's living in a way that lines up with our, with our design and our purpose. You think of, of the fish in, in, in water. It's the fish realising that, that the water isn't a prison for it to escape from, to find true freedom. No, the water is the place where it flourishes and has life, as, 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 as best a life as it can have. Life is found in the water and in the way it's been made. So, so this isn't freedom from everything, but this is freedom for something. And, and this freedom, this Christian idea of freedom is found and experienced in receiving by, uh, by faith all that Christ offers to people. It is through us being reconnected to the God who made us, who designs us, who loves us, who knows how life works for us. And in our reconnection, our relationship with him, finding uh, true freedom in life. Now here's the significant thing about this, which I think we'll really see as we go through Galatians, is, is that idea of freedom rather than pulling people apart or, or kind of pulling people into conflict with one another, that centres us and, and that grounds us and actually that, in one sense, enables us to express and live out in unity. It keeps us in sync. Galatians is a letter written to defend that uh, freedom for the Christian and, and to unpack what that freedom looks like, um, the freedom that Jesus brings, what it looks like in, in church, in real life together. And so that idea of freedom... As we go through Galatians, it's going to help us unpick and, and maybe even deconstruct and, and free us from those various cultural pressures and, and, and other laws of expectation that can be put on us as Christians or indeed we can put on one another as Christians. These expectations that people impose on us and, and, and on our faith that actually threaten the freedom that we have in Christ. And I know many of us have those experiences. Many of us have grown up with those experiences maybe still facing them today. Listen, I've said Galatians is, is a letter. And you might be thinking, well, I thought we were reading the Bible. What are you talking about, a letter? Well, what, what does that mean? Let, let, let me just remind you, the Bible is not one book, but it's like a library of books. And this is one of the books in the Bible. And, and there's lots of different types of, of like mini book in, in, in this Bible. You've got history, you've got poetry and songs, you've got life stories of people, and a few of them are letters written by someone to other people, often to churches. And, and, and they're, they're written by the friends of Jesus, people like Paul, who wrote this letter of Galatians to, to various Christians. And so this one is called Galatians. And the reason it's called Galatians is because it was written to these people who lived in a place called Galatia. And it comes from a guy called Paul. We saw that in, in the reading in verse 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to slowly read over it over the next few months and study what it meant for them then so we understand what it means for us today and for our lives now. This sermon, if you like, it's like... Um, it's like the trailer for the series. You know, when you go to the cinema, you see a trailer, you get an idea of the main characters, the main things of the film. This is, this is the trailer setting up what we're going to see in the, in the book of, uh, of Galatians. And the first person that we really need to meet and know about is, is Paul. This isn't a picture, um, but someone's uh, made, you know, this is what someone thinks he might look like. Um, but the thing you need to know about Paul is, is he was like, he was this uber Jew. Actually, he was called Saul. 
So he'd been brought up in Jerusalem, which was the heartlands of Judaism around uh, just in the very early part of the, the first century. And he studied under this guy called Gamaliel, who is one of the leading and most influential and powerful teachers in in the Jewish context of the day. And Saul was one of Gamaliel's leading students. So you can kind of imagine the sort of guy he is. He was full of zeal and passion for his cause. And he was a man who took his religion very, very seriously. He was a good guy. He was one of the best. He was a Pharisee. They're like the top. And, and the Judaism that he was schooled in of, of Pharisees, they, they loved rules and, and regulations and laws, and they loved keeping them, and they, loved, they, loved it. they took it very, very seriously. I looked this week, there's, there's still Pharisees around today, so kind of the modern-day versions of the Pharisees. Here's a law that they've, they've kind of developed in, in recent times. It's quite remarkable. They said that, that you're not allowed to visit your family in hospital on a Sabbath day during COVID times. Because, um, you know, they introduced like, heat sensors that take your temperature when you go into the hospital and stuff for safety. And so if you do that on a Sabbath day, then effectively um, you're, you're working because you're basically kind of causing a machine to operate. And therefore that's like work. So you can't do that on a Sabbath day. That's, that's a, that was Paul, right? He loved that stuff. He created that stuff. He, he lived by that kind of thing. He didn't only keep the rules himself, but he was so committed to this way of life that, that he would teach others to follow these rules to the nth degree as well. And then, if they didn't, he'd give them a really hard time for it and persecute them. And, and so over time, Paul got into spending his time traveling around the Middle East, probably at great cost and a lot of effort to himself, arresting and imprisoning and even being involved in killing men and women who had become Christians and who had started to let go of some of all of this Jewish law stuff, all of these rules and regulations. And Saul was so committed to the cause that he was doing really well for himself, and he was advancing and, and, and kind of making a name for himself. He was full of zeal for God, and he was full of zeal for other people to live in the way that he thought God wanted them to live. Now, that's his background. You're going to see why that's so deeply significant as we work through this letter. But that's who he was. That's not who he is when he writes. He's had a name change in the meantime. He's gone from Saul to Paul. Something dramatic happened in his life, and he was given a new name. And, and the new name represents this just kind of, he's a new person. He's totally different, and a drastic change in his person and outlook. And the story is retold several times in the Bible. So many of us will, will know it. But Saul was there on his way to Damascus, going to imprison and, and kill the Christians. And, and he encountered the risen Lord Jesus, face to face, a physical encounter with him. And Jesus said to him, Saul, stop beating my people up. Stop putting them in prison. So I want you to stop doing that. I'm going to call you Paul, and now you're going to go, and you're going to be one of my people. And you're going to serve my people, and you're going to teach them, and I'm going to give you a new purpose. So Jesus comes, and he turns Paul's life around pretty much overnight. And Paul goes from someone who travels around the world at that time, killing and prisoning and giving people a hard time for being Christians, to traveling around trying to persuade people to become Christians and teach them and encourage them and, and build them up in the faith. And so much so that the boot's on the other foot, and now Paul starts getting thrown in prison by probably some of the guys who he was mates with before for what he's doing, for following Jesus. And in the end, he loses his life for the cause of Christ. See, when, look at Galatians 1 verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle. 
That's what he means. That's what it means to be an apostle. That's how he introduced himself. It's his job description. What he spent his life doing. He says, this is the work of an apostle, visiting place to place. And, and uh, he, he moved around people from a massive variety of backgrounds. But he was really passionate about those who weren't from the Jewish background, actually. Even though that's where he came from. And he would go to a place, and he would meet, and he would connect with people, and he would engage with them, and he would engage in their local culture, and he'd bring the good news of Jesus to that culture. He would preach it publicly, and he would speak it in private conversations to people. And sometimes he'd be there just a few days or or a few weeks, just a short amount of time. Other times he would stop for months or, or maybe even into years. But he would move on in the end and leave this little fledgling church, this gathering of Christians together in those places. And so then Paul would write letters back to those churches to encourage them, to continue to teach them in their faith. He, he would follow up on the things he had taught and explain them in a bit more, or he would respond to letters that he had received from, from these churches. And, and occasionally as he travelled, he would drop back in and say hi and see them again and, and teach them and whatever else. So this was his ministry as an apostle. He would visit places, preach the gospel, establish churches, and then he would carry on kind of moving and visit and encourage and write letters doing that. That's what it meant for him to be an apostle. But, but what he draws out in verse 1, his emphasis at the start of the letter is not so much the work of an apostle, but where that came from, where his apostleship originates from. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So apostle means sent one. Paul says, the son of an apostle, I've been sent by Jesus. An apostle is a messenger or a representative, and it really matters who they're sent by. It's it's, it's the person who sends them, who gives them the authority, who gives them the the right, whose message, whose mission they are are on. And Paul says, listen, I've been sent by Jesus. I met Jesus personally. It didn't come through any person, any man, or any other people. No, I received my orders very directly from the top. And so something drastic had changed for Paul when he'd been embedded in this religious establishment and so committed to the the rules and the teachings of men and now his life is spent as an apostle doing the work of Christ, taking his orders from Christ and no other person. You see, what we need to know as we come into Galatians is that Paul is under attack. His ministry is under attack and his message is under attack. And so straight away, he's, he's, kind of, he's coming out of the gate and, and, and he's, on, he's on the defense here and he's saying, listen, it is Christ alone that I take orders from. I don't take orders from any other person. It's Christ alone. And, and I'm doing his work and it's, it's his calling on my life. And it's his words that I speak. I write as one who has been sent by Jesus, who represents Christ. And that is what really matters. And yet he doesn't write alone. Do you see that? Verse 2, all the brothers and sisters with me. They're not all apostles. They don't all share that calling, but they do share the same conviction as Paul shares. Their lives are being transformed in the same way or a similar kind of way by Jesus. And they too are sent ones who send this letter with Paul to the churches in Galatia. Because that's who he writes to, isn't it? In verse 2, the churches... In Galatia, see, Galatia, Galatia was, was a province of the Roman Empire in, in the first century, and kind of 
Central Asia Minor. So on the map here, you can kind of see Rome as the star on the left, as Jerusalem's the star on the right, and, and that Galatian region's up there. We'd, we'd know it as modern-day Turkey. Anatolia, Turkey is, is kind of the region. And it's this sprawling region. It's not like a single town or place. It's a sprawling region, uh, like we'd refer to the West Midlands. And it's kind of a little bit vague what you mean by the West Midlands, isn't it? Like, and, and, and Galatia's a little bit similar, basically. In, in 300 BC, so about 350 years before this is happening, it had been settled by, by the French, by the Gauls. Uh, and, and, and these French settlers had, had mixed with the Greeks who were already there. And it's kind of this really racially mixed and, and culturally diverse place. But it was predominantly pagan. It wasn't Jewish at all. There weren't really many Jews around. So people weren't really familiar with Jewish customs or, or practices. And so Paul visited this region around 48, 49 AD on his first missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14 if you want to do that later. He kind of ended up there by accident. He, we don't quite know why, but basically he got an illness that meant he had to stop there for a while. People think it was probably malaria or something like that. But, but he ended there for an illness, but he took the opportunity and he preached the amazing news of freedom and life in Christ. And people just like heard this and they just flocked to it. They flocked to this message and this newfound freedom. It was like nothing they had heard before. And so Paul left the region sometime later, and he left these churches scattered across the region in, in these towns and cities, places like Iconium and Lystra and Derby, all in Galatia. And, and there were these kind of various churches scattered around. It seems likely he dropped back in on the way back to Jerusalem um, to say hi again and, and, and preach them a little bit more on his way back. He definitely visited them a few, few other times after he wrote this letter. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Now, now probably because of the circumstances of why Paul landed there. He got ill and he landed there to, to recover and, uh, and preach the gospel. And, and there was a lot of personal suffering going on for Paul at that time. There was this real deep affection between the Galatians and, and Paul. So in chapter 4, we read that they welcomed his message with joy and received him as an angel from God, even as Christ himself. It says that their love was such that they would have torn out their eyes if they could have done and given it to him. It's quite a lot of love for someone who's, who's, you know, you've just met, isn't it? And Paul feels similar. His, the feelings of, 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 of affection and love flow the other way. Paul writes in 4, chapter 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So there's this, there's this kind of foundation of love and, and affection and, and unity that, that sits behind all that's going on here. And so when we get to some of the angst and the heartache and the strong language that he addresses them with, we've got to remember that's from a place of love and affection. So, so that, that's, that's who Paul is, that's who the Galatians are. It's a little bit of context that we can just bear in mind. But, but the big question is really, why is he writing and, and what's it all about? Well, well by this time, in the, uh, in the middle of the first century, uh, the Christian church, which had started as this Jewish offshoot movement, and so it was really kind of had a Jewish cultural flavor and feel to what it meant to be a Christian at first, it now become a much broader and a much more mixed school. Much of the early church... Uh, early growth in the church was among the Africans and the Romans and the Greeks, these pagans who were not religious at all. In places like Galatia, those are the people who were flocking to the gospel and coming to trust in Christ, and they had no Jewish culture or context or, or background, really. You see, it turns out that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, is actually the saviour of the whole world and all people in history. 
So when this message starts spreading, this wide variety of people from all of these cultures, men and women, uh, girls and, uh, and boys and people who are in high society and those who are the lowest in slaves, they're all coming into the church and they're, they're trusting in Jesus and suddenly they're in this thing called the family of God together. And they're mixing and they're, and they're one and, and they have this unity. Now you can imagine, that comes with certain growing pains along the way, Right? And then that was the experience in Galatia where things, had, things were going awry in the churches and Paul is deeply concerned. You see, what's happened in Galatia is Paul left and went on his travels. And he had gone and he had preached the first, you know, the first time they had heard this good news of Jesus and they were amazed and came to trust in it. And then within a year or so, it could have been a number of months, maybe just a few short years, not very long, some other teachers turn up from Jerusalem and they sound like Paul, and, and they're really good at teaching as well. And, and they share their version of the good news. And they say, this is gospel, this is good for you, this is life. Paul hears about what they've been teaching. He hears about the effect it's having on the Galatian Christians and, how it's, uh, and what it's doing to them. And he is absolutely livid. Because he cares about them, he loves them. You see, these new and these impressive teachers, they, they come from Jerusalem, they claim to represent the big three leaders of the church, Peter, James, and John, but their message is subtly different to Paul's. And it's confusion, confusing the Galatians. They, they don't know what to make of this all. They come along with this Jewish flavor of Christian faith. They're claiming that non-Jews, to be really, truly Christian and to really belong in the church and be accepted by God, need to follow certain things of the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised and keep other things in the Jewish law if they really want to be assured of their salvation. They really want to belong to the people of God and be at home in the church. And the differences sound so subtle and, and what they say sounds so compelling. And, and you might think, oh, well, you know, surely if they're teaching people to be good, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what religious code or rules they're teaching. They're teaching people to live good lives and be moral. Surely there's no difference, no problem. But Paul knows. Paul knows this teaching is like spiritual cyanide. He knows it's absolutely deadly for the soul and for the freedom of the Christian. And so he is zealous for Christians so young in the faith that they would not be led astray. He wants to defend them. The issues come to the head with this question. This is, this is I know there's a lot of background there, but this, this is where it really comes. The question that we can ask. What is it that marks out the people of God? What, what do you think it looks like to be a Christian? You see someone, you think, oh, they're a Christian. Why, why, why is that? What does that look like? How do you know you're accepted by God? See, the answer of most people, including those Jewish teachers who came to Galatia, is, is broadly the idea of religion, isn't it? There's, there's something we do. There's some rules we keep. There's a lifestyle that others can see us living. There's, certain, there's a certain culture that we adopt or, 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 or whatever else it is, how we dress or the language we use or the places we go or what we do and don't eat. There's these really obvious things that we do and we show, yeah, we're, we're in, we're the people of God, we belong. 
And that's the basic essence of, uh, of, of the world religions. You've got to be a certain type of person or live in a certain type of way so that we look good and we know that God accepts us, but then also so that others accept us. And perhaps that's the more important thing for us often. We see it in Judaism, we see it in Islam and Hinduism and Sikhism and, and some people, some of you perhaps, think that's what Christianity is. You think you ought to get your life together. You've got to be something or, or be someone. You can't have anything seriously messed up in your past that either you've done or that's happened to you. You know, I, I still hear people who are kind of around church kind of saying stuff like, oh, do you know they smoke? So they, they come to your church and they smoke. Have you got a problem with that? They, they don't really fit in. They don't really belong. Or, 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 or do you know, I've heard them swear before. As if I'm going to, I don't know, it's crazy. It's not, it's not about being a good person. That's not who church is for. We think, so, and people out there think there's a whole load of stuff you've got to do for God and for other people to accept you and to fit in and to belong. Listen, the Christian answer is very different to that, isn't it? How do we know we belong? How do we fit in? How are we accepted? It's not religion, is it? It's, it's the idea of rescue. That's what marks the people of God out. That's what distinguishes us. It's those who have been rescued. Like, if you think about it, I don't, I don't know if it's been in the news recently. It, it, it might have been, but um, when someone's been rescued, and, and often on the news um, coverage, you see that amazing scene at the end when someone is kind of pulled to safety from whatever it is, whether it's they're pulled out of the debris of a building or, or they've been at sea for like weeks kind of surviving and they're pulled out of the sea or, or out of a cave or something. That person without fail looks in absolute state, don't they? They don't look impressive in any way. They're, they're often malnourished because you know, they barely survived and they're basically kind of a rag of a human patched together with cuts and bruises and breaks and all, all sorts of things. That person is not impressive. That they needed rescuing because they were in a state. And, and, they, and then, therefore, they're going to need a whole load of healing and restoration following that moment of rescue. But they are probably the happiest person on planet Earth in that moment, I would, I would guess. Because they're rescued. They have life. Look, this is what we've got to get. And this is what we want people around this church to get. Being accepted by God has nothing to do with what we've got to do or anything that we can do. It's all about a whole load of stuff that Jesus has done for us. We become children of God. We become fully accepted by God and loved by him, not on the basis of anything we do in and of ourselves, but only and wholly on the basis of his life and his death and his resurrection. So what is it that distinguishes Christians from the world around us? What is it that marks us out? What Paul calls in verse 3, the present evil age, is that we've been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ, giving himself for our sins in his death on the cross, according to the will of God. So we've been rescued. This, this is the great news that is the beating heart of Christianity. We have a crucified Messiah. Jesus has come to do what we couldn't do by ourselves, and he has come to rescue us. Listen, you don't need to look impressive. We don't look impressive when we get up close to one another. 
but you can be the happiest person in the world today if that is your rescue. That's why it's why Paul writes, as he always does in his letters, with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is Paul's good news. This is the great news of Christianity. This is the whole basis of his own personal spiritual life. This is the whole basis of his work life and his ministry as an apostle. It is grace and peace freely given uh, by God in Jesus Christ. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the fullness of God's kindness and his goodness and his generosity overflowing to us and totally and fully freely given to us. It's not earned or deserved. It's, it's not a reward but a gift. And it comes at the expense of Christ. Christ who gave his life up, the cost of his own blood, so that we would be free. Yes, I'm laboring the point. Yes, Paul labours it in this letter to the Galatians because there is mass confusion over this. In this church today, there is mass confusion over this still. It isn't just for the Galatians. And it's of eternal importance that we clear this up. It is the freedom and the life that is ours in Christ that will be stolen with us if we don't get this straight. Listen, this is the only way in It's the only way in. It's through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for your sins. It's the only way to be rescued. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you've got to be. There's nothing you've got to bring or achieve or any markers or or performance that you've got to do to belong in the church. It's just through Christ's rescue. And that is for all. Some of you need to hear that today. But it's also the only way on. There isn't like this point in the Christian life where you flip over from, from that to now you've got to perform. Now you've got to keep your ideas together. Now, now you better be good. Now you better keep up appearances. Now you've got to pull your weight. You, you better have the faith and, and you better maintain the faith and be sure that you can hold it confidently. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for decades. You don't have to do that if you work for the church. And that's your job to do. You're employed to do that. There's a great pressure that you feel like you've got to keep up some kind of appearances with that. Or if you're a gospel family leader, you might feel the pull to be like, I've got to be something. I've got to to show something. Or or you you have some other spiritual status where for some reason people look up to you or you feel this weight of calling or responsibility or whatever it is. It's this burden that, that others can impose on us. There is no expectation outside of Christ that we have to impose on one another or expect of one another. If it's in and through Christ alone in his grace that we receive God's acceptance and love in the first place, it's how we go on receiving and experiencing and living it as Christians. See, this is about our freedom. So our freedom in Christ, day by day, this is the true way of life. And so knowing and remembering all we have in Christ, which is basically what we're trying to do together on a Sunday, it will keep us from being fooled and from being duped by others. Keep us being derailed and pulled aside to these counterfeits that will steal our freedom and steal our joy. It's not about you, it is all about him. Now, those who experience this, we're a family together. We're united. 
See, three times in this little opening, Paul refers to God as our Father, and he's tapping into this unity that we have together as the church of God. And he writes to defend our freedom in Christ and for how we live that out together in, in the family of God. You see, if God's acceptance of and love of us is a gift freely given, that isn't dependent on our performance and how good we are and our ability to follow certain rules or live a certain kind of lifestyle, if that's how God accepts us, surely the same has got to apply to how we accept one another. Surely our acceptance of one another should be the same and we shouldn't be imposing rules and regulations and and expectations on others that do not come from God and his words. Now we need to, as we go through, we're going to carefully work this stuff out because there there are certain things that, that are important in the family of God. But the concern is this, that we do not steal freedom away from other Christians and disrupt our relationships in the church by forcing certain cultural markers of conformity and certain rules on others that do not come from the gospel of Christ. When we do that, we create this two-tier Christianity. Those are in, those are out, and all of these kinds of things. And Christian freedom is under attack when that happens, and Paul defends it with zeal, and Galatians is going to help us defend it with zeal too. What unites us in the church is the people of God. It's not our background. It's not our jobs. It's not a certain lifestyle or how much money we earn or what degrees we do or don't have or what certificates from school we do or don't have. It's not any external behaviours or how we dress or what food we like or what country we come from or what culture we most naturally feel at home in, what we wear, what our sex is, what our age is. None of those things are the things that divide us. They're all the things that bring the beautiful diversity and creativity and and, and the vibrancy to our life together. The thing that unites us is we've been rescued by Christ. We've just been pulled out. And so we are the happiest and we are the freest people on planet Earth. Because now we're children of God. We've all got that. We've been given that. We're dearly loved by him. There's nothing we did to deserve or achieve that. He gave it to us. And we just received it like hungry beggars being given a meal. And because of that, because it's all him and not us, because we just receive freely and happily and gladly, it's not about our performance or how good we are, it is all for his glory. That's what Paul says in verse 5 as he closes out his opening, it's all for his glory. You see, this is the invite to us, along with the Galatians and along with Paul, it's to live free together for Christ and for the spread of his fame and his glory to make him like a celebrity in our day to to make him famous in Birmingham and in our local community because there's these people who are living this life of freedom that just the world just can't can't compute you see we're sent ones as well we're not apostles but we're sent ones sent out with the great news of the freedom in Christ the great news of rescue it's available to all people and that unites us together as the family of God to the glory of God. Let me pray and then we're going we're gonna to sing together in response. Oh Jesus, it is, uh, what a miracle it is, your rescue of us and for us. What, what a great gift 
Lord, we were desperate. There was nothing we could do to rescue ourselves from the state we'd got into. We'd got ourselves locked up in hell with no hope and you came, you broke it open and you pulled us out. And we ran out of that grave into your glorious day. We praise you and we worship you. Lord, there is freedom and there is life in you that is, if people in the world knew what it was, they would, they would die to grab hold of it. And Lord, we have it. Protect us, Lord, from stuff that steals away our freedom. Protect us from, in any way, stealing it from one another in what we impose on each other. Help us to live glorious, faithful lives of freedom to Christ, enjoying him, living for his glory, and for one another's goods. Lord, would we be the freest and the happiest church? By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.